I, I gotta be honest with you. I was very close-minded about rental arbitrage. I thought it was garbage, to be honest. I was so caught up in the cons side of the piece of paper. I have never really looked at the pros side of the page like you broke down today. Shame on me for not being more open-minded on it. You have opened my mind to that, and, and I appreciate that. That's saying a lot, Michael, because he's yeah. a really stubborn bastard. I am. Me <laughs> too, so it's all good. <laughs> Everybody, you're kicking it with the homeboys in the homeboys podcast. My name is Clint Weatherall, and as always, I'm here with my buddy and partner in crime, Scott Adams. We've got a very exciting podcast for you today. We've got Michael Elefante. He is a social media influencer, particularly in the world of Airbnb, something that Scotty and I have dabbled in a little bit, something that Scotty and I <laughs> Didn't necessarily do very well, uh, so we're very excited to have uh, Michael on here with us today. He's huge. He's blowing up He's out there everywhere. everywhere. Millions and millions of people watch his videos. Millions, literally. So this is exciting. So I'm very pumped. Michael, thanks for being on here with us. How are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. I appreciate you guys having me on. Of Ab course. Absolutely. So... Uh, yeah, let's dive, let's dive into how we connected. So we did a video, we had a client, or maybe it was a, um, a follower. Oh, no, I think it was a client. Ask us to break down a breakdown of a video that you did. And we came out kind of swinging and said, you, we, first of all, the way that you analyze these Airbnbs, it's brilliant. You know, it's awesome. There, there's, I, I mean, a true expert, you clearly know how to analyze these properties you've clearly done them you know a lot more than clint and i and we said you overestimated rents and underestimated expenses and i couldn't believe the comments like there's so much negativity sometimes when you even though we agreed with how you break stuff down we think it's neat what you're doing like i feel like 90 percent of what we were trying to say is positive but People just latch onto that negative 10%. So I found it really interesting because you reached out too. And we started a dialogue. And so we're grateful for that when um, we can open up the dialogue and have differences of opinions between experts. And this is your field of expertise. So, um, you know, that that's how we came together. And what did you think of that video? No, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the video you guys put up for sure. Um, I've had a lot worse videos put up and it's not, it was just constructive, which I like what you guys did. You're kind of breaking it down and your thoughts on it. So sure. No hard feelings on that end. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're right on the point where social media is pretty funny. I mean, people come out swinging in the comments and videos, the set and the other. So you gotta have some thick skin as, as if you want to grow any type of social media following. Um, but no, I appreciate you guys doing the video and it led to us chatting today, which yeah. I'm super stoked about. Um, and I think there was some things looking back on it that, you guys probably had some good points in that video too. And I'm sure there's some counter arguments that I can provide today. Just kind of break down how sure. I personally look at short-term rental properties and things of that nature. But um, it's all about good open conversation and, you know, con continued learning, if you will. So I'm glad we're here. You had a few people who came to your defense in the fact that, and, and these are people that I believe have worked with you because they talked about your ability to maximize rents and that 
you're famous for getting kind of the top percent percentile of rents for an area through through the systems that you use and and you know there's no way to to verify them but they they seem legit that they have used your system themselves in, in the back and forth I had with them, which I found mm -hmm. interesting. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's yeah, let's peel it back. How how did you how did you get into to Airbnb? I, I kind of want to go all the way back to to, to step one and uh, kind of yeah. learn your process a little bit. For sure. So I was an athlete growing up, played baseball through college. Didn't really know what I wanted to do post college career. And that kind of came to a screaming halt, you know, my senior year, I was hoping to play professionally, didn't work out, um, which hindsight is probably a good thing and got into just general sales career in technology and bounced around between a couple of companies. And like a lot of people that get into real estate and are interested in the overarching theme of financial freedom, I was just like, man, I got to stop trading my time for money and how do I do it? So just, you know, did a ton of research, uh, read a bunch of books, did a bunch of YouTube's podcasts, like your, your all's podcasts, um, and similar out there and was like, all right, I'm into real estate. So I started saving up and, you know, as I was diving down the rabbit hole of maybe house hacking, small duplex, you know, small multifamily, maybe single family homes here and there, 200, $300 a door, like the standard, right? Like bigger pockets. Right, right. It didn't really get me super fired up because I started to do the math and like, how much income would I need for me to leave my my job, which I was starting to make decent money in the sales career? But I'm sorry to interrupt, but you were young at this point. It sounds like you did you didn't you weren't sitting on piles and piles of cash. No, yeah. Right. When I first started, you know, just to even back it up, um, before I went back for my fifth year of baseball because I redshirted a year, I had a I had a finance degree from Elon, great GPA and all that. And I was looking for kind of internship or part-time work, deciding if I wanted to come back for fifth year. And I could not get a job. It was kind of wild. So uh, the only part-time place that hired me was Dunkin' Donuts. So I was high, I was working, pouring coffees at like five in the morning, working a, a sales job during the day, which I made $0 in commissions the whole summer as a sales only. I was pre-selling some awful product. Um, I hear you're anyway. still addicted to coffee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I saw coffee. the video. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyways, got into sales. I was making like 35 K a year, no money in the bank at living in Dallas, Texas. So like I was not saving a ton of money, but something I did well was budget my money and learn just kind of the basic principles of, of money, right. Cash flow and, and investing. So started to focus more on income and that's what led me into working up to inside sales and then ch uh, changing jobs several times. Cause it wasn't, I wasn't looking for a long-term career. I was looking to boost my income so I could invest as much of much of that as possible at a younger age. So fast forward, um, we moved to Austin, my wife and I, um, and then eventually to Nashville, I took an outside sales position in Nashville and we stayed in a couple Airbnbs during that process. And I just started to do the numbers because uh, I'm like, I've never invested before. I just need to figure out like logically how this makes sense, how much we were paying per night about how booked up they were in the future. And then I started to look at price of real estate there. I'm like, if these numbers are right, this is insane. Like, why is it not everyone doing this? You know? Um, so started to save up a little more and I was like, I'm going to buy my first property. This is before I knew about rental arbitrage or any of these other strategies. So got our first property in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it was a four bedroom, three and a half bath, with like a rooftop patio, about 10 minutes to downtown. We paid just under 500 K for it. And the numbers I was expecting to cash flow, like maybe 25, 3,500 a month, which is amazing, right? For one property, yeah. um, that property today, cash flows between six and eight K a month, sometimes what, upwards. What of year was this? What year was this that you got into Nashville? 
So I was 26 years old going on 27. This was back in 2019. So right before COVID, Mm -hmm. which was a big, you know, change in urban markets, especially. Um, But we, I didn't know how long the whole COVID situation was going to last, but I didn't think it would last as long as it did, but I was still gung ho about the travel industry and hospitality and Airbnb. So we got our, like I liquidated my retirement account. My wife did too. Got our second property about five months later. Um, and that place and the, the two, they were both in Nashville. So over time, they really started to pick back up uh, in early 2021. And then we pivoted to vacation markets like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and then Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is kind of like a hybrid market. You mentioned Gatlinburg. That's one of our biggest regrets. We 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 came really close to pulling the trigger on on. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, we're, we're whenever whenever the fire went through there, um, which is uh, 2016. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny because like I saved some of the properties on Zillow. And you know that it keeps those properties in your in your Zillow you know bank you know if you will, and like I, I go back and and look at what that property was listed when we looked at it, and now look at what it's worth today. I mean it's 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 kind of it's kind of, it's kind of disheartening, but uh, <laughs> but uh, there's did, a lot of woulda coulda shouldas, yeah. and, and you'll find that as your your career goes longer and longer, the the list of woulda coulda shouldas just continues yeah. to grow. Yeah. But, but yeah. you know there's certain ones though that sting out of all those, that's and for the, some reason Gatlinburg's the one that stings. I, I also I find I find Nashville um, a little interesting as well because I I didn't know about this vacation market in nashville i knew nashville was a was a hot market but weirdly my best friend got married for the first time i'm we're me and scotty in our mid-40s and uh but you know he he looked at me earlier this year and said man i want a big bachelor party because like all you other idiots are married and i want to make sure that this is the last time that we're all going to go have fun i want a big bachelor party and we settled we, we went to nashville um just a few few months ago so like i mean i put a lot of research into this bachelor party and you said that about the rooftop uh, patio i saw all those that have you know rooftop patios we settled on um a house about one and a half miles east of Broadway District in Nashville. Mm. What did I tell you we paid? I forget. Yeah, it's like sixteen hundred a night. Right. Um, you know, it's just a. It was just a very um, like a brownstone type home. Yeah, I mean, it had a little backyard. I mean, it wasn't anything lavish by any stretch at all. Like, I mean, it was. I mean, it was nice for us because there was fourteen of us, but like. You know, I mean, we we dropped uh, you know six between six and seven thousand dollars. You know, I think on on the house for the for Wednesday through Sunday that that we were there. It's just I, I I couldn't believe you know the price. And you know, then also I mean, I I checked right before because this one had free cancellation. I checked you know right before we went. There wasn't a lot available, you know, down there either. Yeah, I'm trying to go to Key West in January with my wife, and. So I mean, because it's for us, I'm I'm kind of looking at higher end stuff. But still, there's a zero available of the type of homes that we want on Airbnb or VRBO in all of January, all of January. But I was just wondering, has the price since you got in in 2019 in Nashville to where prices are at today? Do they still do they still work? I think they still work uh, if you do the you get the right property in the right location, provide the right amenities and know who your target clientele is. Um, obviously higher interest rates, higher 
purchase price, you know, the, the, the cash on cash is going to go down certainly. Um, but I think there's, there's just so much margin in short-term rentals. If you do things the right way that you could still, still certainly do quite well. Do things the right way. Um, it sounds like you've got a system to take the biggest expense that um, out of the equation for most folks. There's some folks who are too busy to do this, but you've got a system that can help that helps folks self manage these. Mm-hmm. And that that's um, I don't know that people understand what a killer to returns property management is on short term rentals. When we first got into the business, it was common common for it to be 50% of rents common, you know, and, and heck our last one in Florida, we were paying 35%. Mm -hmm. So, so you've got a system that gets that, that where they can, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I'd like to hear the, you know, the answer to that. It sounds like you've got a system to internalize that in a, in a fairly easy way for folks. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's the evolution of technology. Like it's affected a lot of other industries, but the vacation rental industry historically think about what you would do on a family vacation back, you know, before 2010 or before the 2000 is you would like maybe see a flyer, maybe go online, go to a direct bookings website, see what houses are available, click through a few photos, call them. They would say, I got a place for you. And then you would go to an office, pick up keys, you know, and nowadays it's, I can, with a couple clicks on my phone, I could see thousands of places, scroll through photos, and then I could book it and show up, not talk to anybody, get in, get checking instructions on my phone, get automated messaging, all this, that, and the other um, with someone else who's, I don't even know where they are, across the country, across the world, who's managing it. Um, but it's really just through, through tech and software um, because you can eliminate the need for staff. Um, you can outsource cleaners, you know, contract them out, outsource maintenance. Um, you don't even have to be local. Definitely don't have to pay for office space, um, which, which is awesome. Huge cost savings there. Um, but you can do property management software, which is like one of the, the, probably the biggest one. There's tons of them out there. I've used Guesty for hosts in the past. My property management company uses Guesty for pros. Um, that all sync all your listings together. So unified calendar, if I want to list on Airbnb, Verbo, booking, direct booking, it all connects them in one space, blocks calendars when I get bookings, um, unified inbox too. So I can manage all the guest communication from one central place and I can automate 90% of that guest communication. I feel um, like a student at school. I'm taking notes for myself. <laughs> I am too. I am too. Yeah. So if you book, you get an automated message with everything you need to know. And and the whole point with those automated messages is to help eliminate any type of potential questions that are typical that would come up. So my goal is to have a seamless experience. And this is the best client. It's not always the case, but or guess, best guess. You book for a great expensive weekend. Uh, you get all the instructions you need to get to the house and get checked in. You get checked in, everything's wonderful. And then you get the checkout instructions, never hear from you. It auto reviews you, asks you for a review. You give me a great review and we never actually had real communication. So like that, that's how like a lot of them go. It's not always the case. Sometimes you have to answer specific questions. More than 50% Um, you think go that way? I'd say about half and half, Yeah. you know, but the other, maybe 25% are just one or two quick questions. And then you have a few people that are like, all right, this makes me not want to self-manage anymore if they're just kind of like a burden. But most people really just want a hands-off vacation, um, which is great. And then beyond the property management software, there's there's dynamic pricing tools, which helps you understand data in the market, like Price Labs or Wheelhouse. Um, and I can literally, it builds comp sets for me. So I can view 
what my competitors are charging. I could build comp sets through there and choose which ones I want to actually put on the comp set. And I can see every single day what they're charging, what I'm charging. And then I could build a set of customizations that dynamically changes with demand in the market on any given day. And it'll choose the price that best fits my listing based on that information. So it helps me get higher daily rates when it's really busy. Like when you and your buddies went on your bachelor trip to Nashville, it's probably a really busy weekend, It was, but then maybe in January, it's a bit slower. So it kind of brings prices down um, to help me capture what demand is there when other people won't, because a lot of proper legacy property managers and property owners will charge the same rate almost the entire year in some cases, which is a big no, no in my book. Yeah. Or you um, get lucky and you have a property manager that really understands the market and they'll do it. But otherwise technology can do all of that for you and probably better than even the best property manager who's tied in because the software is going to deal with real data. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It would take forever. That was the biggest mistake I made early on was not leveraging these tools and yeah huge time suck doing pricing. And then with cleaners, you know, you don't have to be call cleaners, assign them to projects. You can use turnover BNB or resort cleaning, or even just get them an iCal link and they sync it to their calendar and they get notifications when there's a booking, a cancellation, reminders when they need to clean, checklists. So cleaners are automated. They just show up when they're supposed to do a great job and, you know, you can automate payment to them. Um, so a lot of the business that used to not be automated is now automated. So it enables to people to self-manage at relative scale as long as they want to. And that will save you 20 to 35% of revenue. So just to give example, I've self-managed up to this point. Now my property management company, I just pawned off my properties to them um, to manage the day-to-day. -day. But in the past, you, you know, said, let's call it 25%. It your, do you own that property management company? Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this year we're on pace to do close to probably somewhere between 815 and a million, I guess we'll depend to see how the rest of the year goes, but call it, call it a million on the higher end at 25% PM fee. It, that saved me $250,000 this year by less like the 30 bucks a month it is to use the property management software I was using. So like, that's a huge cost savings. Um, it, so I encourage people who are just want to get started out. If your goal is to kind of scale faster and you have 30, 60 minutes a week per property to manage, then definitely self-manage when you first start out, unless you just don't want to do it at all. And just like, I want it to be passive right out of the gate. Is maintenance um, a struggle right now? I mean, we, 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 we manage a thousand, a thousand uh, homes here in central and Southern Indiana. You know, we own one of the larger long-term property management companies in Indiana. And, you know, it's amazing how difficult it's been for us to attract new maintenance talent thankfully because we've been in business for so long we've got a rolodex of people that we can still count on but we still have a growing need you know for more yeah so we you give know. our uh, we give our maintenance team trucks you know we buy them all nice vehicles 401k health insurance all that stuff and it's hard it's it's hard to get that staffed up and besides that it's really hard to find subs beyond that mm -hmm. but, yeah so, so are you struggling with that in any of these towns or, or are the tools that you use, I'm sorry, what do you use for maintenance? So it depends. Um, for example, in Nashville, there's a company called mend B and B. They just got a little bit pricier, but still it's a good setup. They just charge us a, a small monthly fee and then they have a flat rate or flat hourly rate and they will source all, all the contractors and maintenance from small to big for you. And guests can even call them too. So the guests, like the batteries died in the lock the other day. So they called the maintenance number maintenance took care of it. And I didn't even 
you know, know about it, which is awesome. So it doesn't always happen that seamlessly. Um, other areas, uh, we've actually just sourced maintenance or handyman through our cleaners. Sometimes they offer that in addition to their cleaning services. Could be a monthly rate, could just be an hourly rate per per visit. Um, so that's usually where we start, um, and then just try and source like specific, you know, expertise when needed. So we can have like a plumber, you know, electrician stuff like that for more serious issues if we need it. It sounds like you you've ticked all the the main boxes. I mean, obviously. Um you know, management, like I said, is the biggest piece of the puzzle for folks um, to get right. And even if you're paying 30 or 25 to 50%, um, you know, it's, it's hard, it's easy to get ripped off from afar. I mean, we, we had, we had a house that Clint flew down because we were trying to figure out what the heck was going on with maintenance. And we discovered that there was a tenant in the place and we didn't even know they were pocketing the cash. Our property manager was just pocketing. Yeah, like our, our portal showed that the place was vacant. And then I, I flew down, me and my wife and my, my newborn daughter at the time, you know, flew, flew down. Well, they told us we needed a $30,000 fix to the pool. And so Clint, and, which didn't seem right. I mean, something was wrong because it, it was a fine pool. And so Clint mm-hmm. flew down. Yeah, flew down, and there was people staying in our in our house. This is in Cape Coral, Florida, and um, you know, just they were our property manager was pocketing all of the money, and then anyhow, I I, I talked with a few pool companies and randomly, this is a. Fabulous story. Um, I called this pool company, and the person is like, yeah, we were out at your house last week in regards to the fix. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, we told her that we could fix it for $300. And 30, she was 000. trying to get us for 30000 Dude, what are they, digging up and doing a whole new pool? Oh, it was, it was something... Uh, hydrostatic pressure was possibly lifting the pool. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Like, yeah, a pool can get popped if correct. the water is deeper long enough if you're below right. sea level. Um, yeah, we were which right. I found out recently, which is kind of interesting, yeah. but that's wild. Yeah, yeah so yeah, this was a weird pool, too. So there was a short period of like two years in the 1980s in Florida where they put metal pools in. I know you. that's probably a fact you didn't even know. And they plastered on the outside that touches the dirt and the inside, so it's sandwiched. So a lot of people don't even know their pool is a metal pool from those years. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And, and so there's some, some effects that that has with seawater, and it was it ended up being nothing. Like he said, it was yeah, like 300 But anyhow, like I went bananas, like said a lot of things I shouldn't have said, didn't fulfill my, you know, Christian duties um, as a human being um, just went bananas on this woman that was our property manager. She was German. And uh, anyhow, her husband shows up. <laughs> he's a monster. Like, like an hour later. And he's literally the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1983. No joke. I mean, it was just <laughs> like, but, but anyhow, Long story short, we we did find a property manager after that. Um, amazing, who was amazing. Yeah. So like they do they do exist. You know, we just we yeah. happened to get into a really bad. You I, know, I think it's neat you started a property management company for this because um, you're you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is about being able to do this from afar and to be able to service for other people. And like like I said, if if people can find a great property manager to handle a lot of this stuff for them. Cause 
as you said, there's a lot of people who don't have the, the time to manage these things themselves. But if, if the numbers are so strong, which I know they are in a lot of markets, and if you get the right house, obviously, um, it opens it up for a lot of people. So I think that's neat you're doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been cool. Um, I think I never thought I would do that. I'm, I'm still a huge advocate for self-managing. Of course. But there, you know, there's so many property managers out there that are just been in the industry for so long. And they, some of them are still handing out keys. Some of them don't use dynamic pricing software. Some of them only take direct bookings. I'm like, what are you doing? The whole world is going to Airbnb, Verbo, and these other sites to book. You're, you're doing your clients a disservice. So for us, it's just, we have the ability, I feel like to really maximize revenue for people. And if we're pulling people off other PMs that maybe they're underperforming, we're like 50%, like we're going to make them a huge excess amount of return or cash flow per year, even with our property management fee. So it's almost like the service is free. That's how we're trying to pitch it to people who currently yeah. use PMs that aren't, aren't doing a good job. You'll look like a hero. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, how in this new market for folks, I, I believe that a lot of the ways that um, you talk about gr being able to grow your portfolio um, involves uh, refinancing a property once it appreciates, you know, re reusing that capital on your next one and, you know, until it's a snowball and it's growing. Um, that's, that's great for these last 10 years and, and totally understand it. I'm curious about what people are going to be doing over the next coming years, if there's no appreciation to be able to make that happen. Do you have a suggestion? Yeah for folks. Yeah. Yeah. So the really cool thing about short-term rentals is there's other ways to do, I guess, Airbnb essentially without owning the property. So there's other ways to grow quickly. It's something I wish I did before getting into buying, even though buying has been great for me in the past couple of years, obviously. Um, but with the short-term rental or uh, rental arbitrage, right? So basically you can do home sharing or do a corporate lease, right? I can start an LLC, call it Michael's you know, fancy homes, and I can rent to my business, right? Rent your uh, apartment or home as long as you're open to it and have an addendum in the lease that states that I'm allowed to essentially sublet. So I furnish and then rent out on a shorter midterm basis. So a couple of days at a time, like a traditional short-term rental or to travel nurses, people traveling for work or, or, you know, work relocation with their family. They need one to three month furnished rentals. So there's ways to do it. And you're kind of hacking the system, no down payment, no closing costs, no credit. Um, and anything you really, your expenses are furniture and then maybe first month's rent and application fee. Um, and, uh, the margins there are insane and the cash on cash is great. Uh, you, you miss out on, down. you miss out on the appreciation, uh, sure. possibly and less tax time. benefits for sure. Yeah. There's right. definitely pros and cons, but there are people getting 300 plus percent cash on cash. Do you, I I'm, I'm always shocked by rental arbitrage to me. It's never made sense that an owner would allow that if that's the maximum use of the property as the owner of the property that's what i would do <laughs> like yeah. i wouldn't let somebody else do it i've never understood that part is it yeah. easy to find these because it to me if someone came to me and said i want to rental arbitrage one of our properties i'd say no but good idea i'll do it <laughs> yeah well can i rental arbitrage one of your properties or no. would you do it on your own i'd do it on my own then but why aren't you because Ours are maximized in this manner, in the manner that they're working, I believe. Right. But if you rental arbitraged all of them, the way you're answering that question, right? Couldn't you, couldn't you like forex the revenue potentially? If you could, why, why, why wouldn't you? Because right. your, your argument to me is no, you wouldn't let me do it because you want to do it yourself. But if you don't do it yourself, is there an additional 
you know, argument to be had of why you wouldn't let me rent one. No, I mean, um, I, I mean, ours yeah. wouldn't work as short-term rentals. Most of ours, they're suburban out in the country, mm -hmm. you know, the sure. properties we focus. So I think we do a good job of maximizing the usage of that property to get the most out of it. But I what would, other I mean, reasons I would, do you think, I would think as so. a landlord, what other reasons do you think people, landlords, because I could tell you a lot of the initial clapback they would say of, no, 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 like we're not doing that. Yeah, right? people coming in and out, tearing it up. People, people complain, would, an owner would say, no, don't do that. I don't want people coming in and out and tearing it up. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't want to make the neighbors mad by turning it into, uh, you know, people coming in and going. So there, there'll be yeah. those arguments. Yeah, for sure. And then what about um, for you guys as long-term rental operators um, are your biggest expenses over the course of several years? Turns. Turns. Yeah. Turns and vacancy. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I can say, hey, I'll do a five-year corporate lease with you and I hope to renew it for many years after that, I eliminate that for you. Yeah, that's true. So it's a huge, it'd be very financially advantageous, assuming everything it works well, which I know it will, for you to rent to me versus another tenant, especially if I scoop up five or 10 of your units, because now I'm making you more profitable. So for me, I want to make it a financial win and beneficial relationship, mutually beneficial for you to rent to me versus another tenant. And then another mis misconception generally um, is that the unit is going to get more wear and tear as a short-term rental or mid-term rental than it would as a long-term rental. I would argue that a lot of tenants really live in a place and most people are probably decent when they leave after one to maybe three years of renting from you, but you probably walk into some units and you're like, wow, this place got used, right? So as a short-term rental, I have to keep it in for sale condition to operate my business. So I have to make sure it's clean professionally every single turn. If that's probably once or more times a week um, and make sure that like the place looks good, the paint's touched up, you know, the carpet's clean, the, the surfaces are clean. Um, but someone lives in there for 12 months, it may not be in the best shape when you get it. Then you have to spend money to right turn it. So the, for me, it's more of a financial benefit, like a financially beneficial relationship that I want to establish right. with, with the landlord or homeowner. My, my argument would be against the industry and not your system and Michael Elefante. Like, you know, we know the property management uh, business here in in, uh, in central Indiana, inside and out. For every one um, good property manager in Indianapolis, there's five bad ones. Mm -hmm. um, I think with with what you're talking about, with as many moving parts as there is, for every one good operator of that, there would be ten bad ones. So I'm not saying that, you know, it 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 wouldn't it wouldn't work or or um, disagreeing with you. I just think that overall, there's going to be a lot of people that are doing it the wrong way. As is, there's a lot of people doing it the wrong way in our in our business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people a lot of people think uh, we see fly-by-night property managers in Indianapolis all the time, like, oh, well, I'll just become a, a property manager. You know, they don't understand, like, the Rolodex that we have over 23 years of being in this business and 21 years of being in this business and the value of, like, how, how much that is. You know, that's why we see so many people fail. I think, you know, with rental arbitrage would be no different than the business that, that we're in. 
Um, you Especially know, because the people attracted to real arbitrage are usually newer investors, I would think. Um, but, you know, that's up to the owner of the property to, to decide. You know, you make sure. some good points that, you know, if that owner doesn't, A, want to mess with it themselves and someone young and energized says, I'm going to do all of that. You're going to get your monthly rent. Not only that, but you're not going to have much maintenance because I'm going to be touching it up all of the time. And, you know, when... Th- I guess still when something big would break, you know, the, they sure. Yeah. But otherwise for the little stuff, they're going to be touching it up anyway and probably not turning in a lot of little maintenance requests. So I could see that in our market, it maybe we're just used to the Midwest because in our market, we know we're maximizing the properties that we have. If, if Airbnb them would bring in more rents, we would do that. And we, we actually have done that with a couple um, here. But even those, it's, you know, in the suburbs around Indianapolis, there's just not, there's plenty of Airbnbs. If you get on and do a a breakdown of our town, you'll see it's not the place to do Airbnbs unless you're downtown. Clint used to have an old mansion from, when was it built? 1890s? Mm -hmm. And uh, he gutted it made it really cool and so like when the super bowl would come to town it's a, a big beautiful mansion right downtown with five bedrooms six well, six bedrooms and so he could you know he'd airbnb that you know and, and so yeah. those work obviously but that's not what our typical properties that we manage and and right. are but um yeah so that, that would be my biggest my biggest caveat to people is do your research you know whenever whenever you're getting you know, the same, it's the same in our industry as it is the short-term rental industry. I mean, there's so many bad, you know, property managers, you know, here in central Indiana. There's going to be bad people that that have no business doing short-term rentals or rental arbitrage or any of that. You really got to make sure the person um, knows what they're doing because it can, it could, it can go, it could go south. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. So what challenges are ahead for uh, the Airbnb business? What, what are you uh, focused on, you know, trying to get ahead of things? And, and how are you going to solve uh, problems as they come up? We're all in a, we're, even though we're in annual rental period, we're in new territory even for us. We've, we survived 2008. We've been through lots of market cycles. We've seen a lot of things. But every time, every market's a new market. And right. so yeah. just curious what you're seeing ahead and, and how you're going to kind of adjust and be prepared for whatever it is to come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm a little more cash heavy than I want to be probably, but I'm being more opportunistic in what I'm buying versus two years ago. Um, I still think there's great opportunity in in a lot of different market cycles. Um, But if greater opportunity comes up in the next three to six months, I'm going to be prepared for that as well. Um, I will say that I do believe that people will always travel. I think they may travel less or take less luxurious vacations um, during hard economic times, but I still think people use their PTL. They're still going to get married. They're still going to go on bachelor bachelorette parties, you know? Um, so, and the other thing, the challenge for most Airbnb operators is the competitive, the competitiveness is increasing and the supply is increasing in the rental markets. So a lot of them, at least if you go on AirDNA and a Gatlinburg, which is why I haven't bought there with the current home prices is it's like a 60% increase in rental supply for vacation homes. And since 2019, Q4 2019, God. a huge, the reason I still like That's... Nashville is because uh, regulation has increased in early 2022 after a bunch of people dumped their STRs when it was tough in 2020 and the supply had 
just as of last quarter reached back in its uh, Q4 2019 high. Oh, so they made so it hard it, to enter the market and so it kept supply Yeah, low. just the zoning. You know, they tightened up on where you could do it, which I think is a huge advantage. And they'll grandfather in existing permits. But if you try, if you get a place in Nashville, you're competing with the same amount of rentals that were there two years ago. And, you know, 15 plus million people a year visit Nashville and growing and the population's growing. Um, whereas Gatlinburg, you know, it's still booming, but it boomed extra hard during 2021 and 20 early 2022 when no one could travel overseas and a lot of urban areas were still kind of iffy um so i think a lot of new investors got in that market and only looked at the past year of data and then based their projections on that and now the competitions increase you know the daily rates and you know occupancy may be suppressed a tiny bit although it's increased since 2019 it's you know leveled out or decreased since the peak of 2021 so it's just it's just about doing your research and having good data in your hands to make data informed decisions and forecasts. Um, is but Cape as far Coral, as is Cape Coral saturated now? Do you have you ever looked at that market? I'm just curious. I, I mean, I could pull it up now. Yeah. I've looked at it before, but it's been a while. It, um, it felt saturated, and and we don't need to dive into the data. I just I found I we felt, we only talk about that because we have we have quite a, that's yeah. one of the few markets we have <laughs> quite a bit of experience. And, in. but we yeah. saw it come. We saw it as it really exploded for Airbnbs, and it felt like it was getting saturated. But yeah, but uh, it, it's interesting because you have. Um, the tools and you teach people the tools to do everything from a, a, a city um, wide kind of, um, you know, 30,000 foot view on saturation levels and trends in that market all the way down to, you know, individual comps and different tools for, for all of those different things. And based on that and what you're seeing, are there any hot, hot, hot markets that you really believe in right now that you want to share secretly with our, uh, our, <laughs> our guests and watchers? Yeah, I get asked that like every day. I bet. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of great markets out there. It's really hard to say, do this market. If I had to say like in 2020, right when COVID hit, if I knew a Gatlinburg and the national parks were going to do, I would have said invest in any rural place that's outside of major metropolitan areas yeah. because that's where everyone's going because they can't do the city thing. Um, but right now, I mean, there's a ton of great markets. For me personally, I would if, if you're looking at urban areas, look at places with steady and growing tourism. So I really like Nashville, Phoenix, Scottsdale is always good, even though it's become a lot more competitive there and then because they have also have growing populations. So I feel like from a long-term hold and capital appreciation standpoint, growing areas, a growing population where it'll put a little bit more pressure on supply long-term will be good and beneficial. Um, and then vacation markets, it's tough. I don't like super seasonal areas, although you can do really well at those. Um, but for me, I like places that you know only have one to three months of slower times per year. So I like the mountains a lot. I like you know, the further south you go. Um, so just rely on the data and, you know, you can, you can look into any data in the, in the world really using tools like AirDNA. So that's what I, that's what I use. And it's, I just use it as a funnel, yeah. funnel out markets. And then when I get properties, I'll plug them in and then leverage data, find comps and that funnels out more properties. And I just get down to a few that conservatively meet my, you know, requirements to make the investment. And then I'll figure out what offer makes sense and, and proceed from there. Well, we, we like to, we, we know you have places to be and, and we greatly, greatly appreciate your time. So before we go though, we like to wrap things. And we're not going to be done with you. We're going to stay in touch. You know, we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to pick your brain a lot going forwards. We've really, it's really been awesome having you on. Yeah. We, th we think our followers and our clients are going to gain a lot of value um, from, from what you do and what you talk about. And, and we'll, 
put we get uh, questions about it all the time all the time and we're not experts and so we don't pretend to be when our clients ask we say we don't know and so it'll be nice to be able to direct them to someone like you who because who, um, a lot of our clients have that need you know we fill a certain niche mm-hmm. and we're experts at what we do and as you can can tell we tinker with stuff on our own but we're not out there doing airbnbs for our clients because we're not experts at that so it's really nice to to have you as a resource that we can point to for our clients but um we so we like to close with three three quick questions if you want to take to do the first one sure Clint. sure uh so michael what is the best real estate decision you ever made getting started i love it I know it's simple and probably what a lot of people say, but, it's but great. I don't think you'll ever meet another real estate investor that says, I wish I waited longer to start <laughs> unless you bought and did no research. And, you know, maybe like during the peak mm-hmm. 2008 market, you know, that might hurt a lot of your future ideas on real estate, but just getting started earlier and then not uh, leveraging other people's money or, or partnering or anything like that. I think it hindered my growth early on wanting to do it all myself. Um, so just being a little more open-minded and starting earlier, like I, that's absolutely probably the yeah, answer. That's, for me. that's my answer too. Yeah, so. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. So what, what uh, real estate decision or de- decisions do you regret? It's really more on the regret of not leveraging other opportunities at the time and just waiting to have enough capital to reinvest. Um, I regret not doing rental arbitrage when it comes to short-term rentals and Airbnb, just that if you can lock down that strategy, the level of cash flow that you can scale to, I would have quit my W2 job faster. I would have bought more properties over the past couple of years, leveraging that cash flow. Um, so I just would have been able to scale faster by, by honing in on those other opportunities. So I regret, I regret being a little bit close-minded early on to, to different strategies. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I was very close-minded about rental arbitrage. I, I've always believed that it's it, – I, I thought it was garbage, to be honest. I thought rental arbitrage, if the owner owns the property, they are going to maximize it and do that instead of letting you do it. The owner's not going to like people coming and going in and out of their house um, you know, over and over again. Um, you're investing all this money in furniture, and you're missing out on one of the main great things of real estate, which is owning the real-world asset and the appreciation that comes. So you know, I, I, I was so caught up in the cons side of the, the piece of paper that I thought it was garbage. And I have never really looked at the pros side of the, the page like you broke down today. And, um, you know, shame on me for not being more open-minded on it. I'm not saying I'm in love with it or that it will work here or that we'll do it, <laughs> yeah. but you have opened my mind to that, and, and I appreciate that. That's saying a lot, Michael, because he's yeah. a really stubborn bastard. I am. Me <laughs> too, so it's all good. <laughs> That's funny. I will tell you, I mean, think about it. If you can get in a rental arbitrage unit, for ten to fifteen thousand bucks, a one to two bedroom, and it's very real possibility that you can cash for two to three thousand dollars a month sure. on ten to fifteen k. So for someone who's starting out, like your goal is to quit your job in a year or two, if you're, you know, it's going to take a lot more effort and and hustle to to get started and network and partner with people on a bunch of purchases. Where if I could just take fifteen k and get a property in four or five months, I, I have enough cash flow to get another one. Now I double my cash flow. You know, it's just like that, the yeah. snowball. And I then I, I agree with you. Owning real estate's amazing long-term. So I always encourage people 
short-term goal, financial freedom, start with arbitrage if you have less, and then move that into to buying later down the road. Yeah, arbitrage belongs in a box for certain situations and certain people uh, starting out. And it's easy for me to be an old fuddy-duddy who owns a lot of assets <laughs> and doesn't need to rental arbitrage for me to right. crap all over it. Um, so anyway, I, I do appreciate you opening my mind a little of that. All right, so the last question. What real estate advice do you have for the next generation? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, get started. That's it's such a generic answer, but I would say the advice, like general advice, I would say like there's this wave of of cash flow that you can get into through short term rentals, and it changed my life, which is why I'm so passionate about it. Um, and I would not have been able to scale this level of monthly cash flow doing long-term rentals or commercial or any other type of real estate. So take advantage of it before it gets ultra, ultra competitive in five or 10 years to where it really suppresses the potential returns. Cause right now you could still make a killing. Um, so I would say like, get started, be open to it. Um, and, and the other thing too, is like, you don't need to know everything to start. You know, if you get an information gathering phase and you take that too long, like you're just going to be that expert that knows all about the strategy at drinking beers with your friends on the weekend, but you don't actually have anything to show for it. It's you're just the guy who knows all about it. It's amazing how much info you people like you and, and we try to as well, give out for free on these social media sites. You know, I mean, you, you, you could literally learn A to Z just, just by following the right people who are experts in, in certain fields. So I think that's great advice. Just get started. You know, we, we are, we are two guys who just, we try things, you know, we don't wait to learn them. We try We do it the hard way and we, we learn a lot of hard lessons, <laughs> really painful lessons, but you know, we learn them and we move on. So yeah, yeah get started. Ready, ready, uh, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. Isn't that a book? Yeah, yeah yep. it is. That, that's that's our investing game when we were younger you know now now we're old fuddy duddies who have a who have a system in place and we yeah. just repeat so yeah we still take some swings and screw up from time to time that's true you know, you that's know. true but, uh, well michael we really appreciate you you coming on and you know like i said we we hope to to continue uh, this relationship into the future and you know we can help one another out we also want to encourage you if we can help you out in any way please you know reach out to us and and did i did i see now are you expecting a child is that i have a one month old she's one month today one month old okay so i saw an old video i guess where your wife was uh was was pregnant so so we, we greatly appreciate you coming on the show because you probably haven't slept in a month <laughs> you know, so but, uh, but congratulations on your uh your newborn baby um that's that's awesome i i've got three and six-year-old girls i was a little late to the game to having kids and um you've got you got a fun ride ahead of you my friend yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, all right. Well, that is our podcast for today. We appreciate you tuning into the Homeboys. Make sure you check out Michael Elefante on uh, social media. You could find him on TikTok. You could find him on YouTube. You could find him on Instagram. He's really, really smart when it comes to the short-term rental game. Please check him out. Follow him. You'll learn a lot. Till next time, happy investing. <laughs>